morning to all of you who are joining us for maybe the first time or you've been visiting for a few weeks. I just want to reiterate how um, grateful we are to have you tuning in and how much we have prayed for all of you watching this morning. We're praying that the Lord just brings refreshing and encouragement to you right where you're at. He knows exactly what you need. And I am believing in full faith that Father God can give you fresh bread from heaven today to sustain you and strengthen you right where you're at. So, Ramp Church, first I must just say how much I miss you. And it's hard to believe that this is, um, well, that this is so many weeks in and here we are still recording from this beautiful living room coming to you live in your living room. And I'm so grateful for just the opportunity to still um, connect with you in this way. And I have been praying for you all so much. I've um, been praying for just the peace of God to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And, you know, one of the things um, that I even really want that has been on my heart to talk to you about is the peace of God. And sometimes when we think about the peace um, of God, we kind of equate it with maybe what is familiar to us in culture, the world around us, this this inner calm, this zen-like state where we're just kind of in denial about any kind of trouble or conflict. But God says through the mouth of Jesus, Jesus, the God-man, said when he was here on planet Earth that the peace he gives us is not of this world. It's different. It's stand out. It's much, um, what, how do I say it? Eternal long-lasting, richer, deeper, the peace that God gives. And I want to just, first of all, encourage you that if you're a child of God, then you have this promise of God's peace available to you. It's part of your inheritance. It's part of what it even means to be in the kingdom of God. So this morning, I know we have a lot of different circumstances outside of us that are really challenging. And I know that Joe has been talking to you about some of the ways that we tap into God's peace and make walking in his peace our practice. Well, this morning I want to share with you just how to maintain God's peace in that inner world with some of those enemies that come to wage war on our soul. And not the typical catastrophic pandemic type challenges, but I'm talking about more of the yucky stuff. The stuff from our old nature that wants to creep into our new way of life in God's kingdom and sabotage our peace that God's given us. So this is really where I find my battlefront with peace is, is often in a crisis, I can feel myself pull pull myself up by the bootstraps and by golly, this is a challenge. God is with me and we're going to get through this. Sometimes peace is harder for me to find in the everyday daily grind of life. And that's because we sometimes we just kind of relax and we're not expecting. We're not expecting our mind to be bombarded with with thoughts or experience, you know, spiritual warfare that brings um, tension into our inner heart and mind. And I want to speak to you about from the inside out, waging war on those enemies that really want to attack your heart and then work their way out to your outside world. So let's go back and I'm going to recap. Some of you may be very new to what it means to be a Christian. And I'm going to try to just quickly paraphrase um, a, a bit of the journey 
that we as followers of Christ kind of go through. So when Jesus came to earth as the Son of God, he came, the beginning of the Gospels, you'll come across different verses like this, where it says Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and calling people to repent. So he came and he started saying the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he starts preaching this message about the kingdom of God and he calls people to follow him. And what he's doing is he's inviting people into this personal relationship with him where he becomes the Lord of their life. And then when somebody comes into that to that relationship with Jesus where he is now in charge and everything in their life is revolving around him, they are then a part of a kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God is eternal. And I love just the way that it even describes Jesus in Isaiah as he is the prince of peace. He's the Lord of peace and wholeness. And he is ruling in this kingdom. And we are his grateful, his grateful children and brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get to now benefit from being under the rule and reign of God. And Jesus begins to teach on the earth when he was here, explaining what it is to be the kingdom of God, to be in the kingdom of God. And even contrasting how the people who follow him and are under the rule of God and have submitted their lives to the rule of God, that they are distinguished from the way things are done in the world. And he contrasts that. And then Paul picks up the baton in teaching a lot of the early church. And he begins to even further continue that contrast. Because we have now this kingdom of God that those who follow Jesus are a part of. And Paul says it this way. He says, in this kingdom of God, it's actually within you. It's the rule and the reign of God exercised in your decisions in every facet of your life. It's within you. And it's righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It means you're right with God. That relationship between you and God, that's good, that's right because of Jesus and because believing in him. And then Paul says, it's righteousness and it's peace and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. So God's kingdom comes, we come into God's kingdom, and now we get like this whole new atmosphere of living. And just to recap some of the um, biblical definitions of the word peace as it's used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, I want to recap those quickly, okay? So when the Bible is talking about peace, it's talking about wholeness of life. Wow. That is incredible. We've talked before about how sin is another way to describe our brokenness. We were made to flourish, but now because we've gone our own way, everything is broken. But God's peace and salvation comes because we are right with God, and now we experience a wholeness and Jesus coming again to make all things new, all things whole again. Biblical peace is not just right relationship with us and God, but we then have a promise of being joined to other brothers and sisters in Christ where there can be a new family for us. And this family of God is unlike our worldly families. It's different. It's marked by unity. It's marked by peace. 
not by strife and contention and division. No, now we have this peace of God and it's unifying people from all parts of the world. Paul says now this spirit of God is bringing together a family of God. And this family of God is not marked by dysfunction. This family of God is meant to be marked by this beautiful oneness that we have through the Holy Spirit. And this peace, this harmony between our relationships, not just with God, but with each other. And biblical peace, it was also a blessing that they would say in the Old Testament that would mean prosperity, success, fulfillment. It was victory over one's enemies is also the absence of war. Isn't that glorious? Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, I talked to you about one of the promises, one of my favorite promises. It was the promise of God's help. Well, this week I'm talking to you about that promise of peace. You have this promise as a follower of Christ, as a child of God, that you have peace, not of the world, not that the world gives, it's temporary, based on circumstances, fragile. Now you have this beautiful supernatural peace that comes from your union with Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. And this peace is making you whole. And Paul even says it's there to just guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Can you just picture that God's will for your life is that his very peace is standing there at the gateway of your thoughts. And that peace is acting as like an umpire, as like it's, it's making the call on which thoughts to let in and which thoughts to let out. It's guarding your heart from things that want to sabotage the purpose of God on your life and rob the joy of God on your life. That is God's will for you, that you be ruled and experience his peace in such a way that it is literally evicting certain enemies from your life. So we're called to peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus has invited us into this kingdom that is different than the ways of the world. When we become a child of God, Paul puts it this way. We're now citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors of Christ. We had an old way of doing things, but now we've crucified that with Christ. And when, we, when Christ raised we were raised with him, and now we have this new nature. Now we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. So this is glorious. So we've got peace in God. We've got now this peace that is always with us. So what, okay, if, we're, if you and I were sitting, sitting down to have coffee this morning, and maybe you were just newly um, come to Jesus, or maybe you are really experienced in your walk with God, I would I would feel led to tell you that both of you the same thing. Those of you who are brand spanking new to Christ and those of you who are generals in God's army, if we were sitting down this morning, I would say, you know what I really feel, I've been feeling to pray for, for Ramp Church, is that there's a certain enemy, there's a certain thought that the enemy wants to give us, to bait us and pull us out of peace, Back up just a minute, because some of you, I can already think you're thinking, enemy, oh dear, what is she talking about? She's going to talk about the devil. Well, it's very important that as a child of God, you know that you have an enemy who is opposed to the kingdom of God and opposed to anything that resembles the rule of reign of God in your life. 
If you don't know that you have an enemy, you will take everything so personally and feel like you are failing at being a Christian. You will feel like you don't fit in, like you can't do it. Sometimes it's just really helpful to know, you know what? This is difficult. I'm called to this. But Jesus himself warned the disciples. He warned them about things to come. And he even said this. He made it plain for the crowd of people that was listening to him one day. In John 10.10, he says, listen, I'm the good shepherd. And those who follow me, they hear my voice. He says, but the thief, there's a thief and a liar. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you would have a rich and satisfying life. And then Jesus goes on er, before that in John 8. He talks about how the enemy, the devil, Satan, is a liar. He Oh, and he just goes off. He takes a few sentences to talk about how the devil is a liar and he's the father of lies. And he lies because it's consistent with his character because he can't even tell the truth. Everything he says is a lie. And this is the tactic that he uses against the people of God is he's spewing out these lies. It's the same tactic he used with Eve, getting her to doubt the goodness of God. Did God say? It's the same tactic he used when he was with Jesus tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He was just using these words to deceive and entice. Thankfully, Jesus resisted and he put a stamp in the ground, a line saying, you know what? Because I'm here on earth overcoming the enemy, now all of my followers can overcome him too. So back to you and me having coffee. If I was telling you one enemy that I would want you to be keenly on guard against, guarding your heart, like it says in Proverbs 4, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard that deposit of what God has put in you. You've got to protect the deposit of peace and righteousness and joy that God has put in you. Then I would say, I would really encourage you to be watching out for this lie. The lie that is associated with the sins of covetousness, jealousy, and envy. Oh, I know, you know, sometimes we think, well, those are just natural weaknesses. We just kind of are human. That's, that's human nature is we, we want to envy, we want to covet. And I say, that's right. It is human nature. But if you're a child of God, you are not mere human anymore. You are called to a different life and you don't have, you don't have the luxury for lack of better word to use an excuse that's natural. Because now you, who claim to follow God, you have the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead inside of you. You are having a unlimited, glorious resources available to you in the Holy Spirit. And this lie that the enemy baits us with of envy, of covetousness, of jealousy, it's basically, in short, it's saying, well, I would be happy if I had, fill in the blank, their opportunity or their spouse, or if I looked the way that they looked, I would be happy, or I would be at peace if I had their salary, or I could be content if I had that opportunity in ministry or work. And it's always reaching outward into somebody else's space, wanting what they have, not able to see what you have. And what's dangerous about envy and jealousy is it doesn't just rob you of your peace. It makes you feel all like 
angsty on the inside. You feel discontent. At first, at first, usually when envy comes to tempt me or I start thinking about other people's opportunities or it's just this very subtle little bait that the enemy wants to get me to just be thinking about them. And then he has me looking over here at what they have and then look over here at what you have. And now I want and then the, the enemy wants to compare and contrast the two. And then he wants us to believe that if we had what they had, we would get something that we don't already have in Christ. When God has said that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Oh, the enemy is a liar. So now he's not just robbing me of my peace because then sometimes I feel like, well, gosh, I've got to work harder. By golly, I've got to get what they have. And listen to this. Listen to what this says in Ecclesiastes. Bear with me just a moment as I am. This is Ecclesiastes 4.4, written by Solomon, who's a very wise man. He says, I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless like chasing the wind. Oh, Man, you mean envy doesn't just rob me of my peace. Gosh, it can really wear me out as well. You know what? I know a lot of us who suffer from burnout. I had to ask myself this question. Man, how much of my burnout is a result of envy just being motivated by other people's success and not focused on what God has called me to do? That is painful. Do you ever read the word of God and you just feel like it's stepping all over your toes? This is because the word of God is living and active. It's meant to divide soul and spirit, flesh and bone. It's meant to really be that chisel that cuts away that carnal nature of ours and brings us into the fullness of life in God. And this is another thing about envy and comparison. It's not just part of our old nature that wants to steal our peace. And it's not just wanting to wear us out. It's wanting to divide us from the relationships that God has called us to enjoy, to run alongside with brothers and sisters envying one another and then not able to just relax and enjoy each other. It robs us of our friendships. It robs us of right relationships that we're meant to be running alongside people in the kingdom of God. You know what is just so terribly disturbing to think about. It was envy in the Pharisees and the Sadducees that, that was motivating them to crucify the risen Lord. It was envy between Cain and Abel. It was, it was envy between Joseph and his brothers, his brothers envying Joseph, that this envy could lead to murder, that this envy could lead to not just division, but death. Wow, and those stories are such a powerful illustration that all sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. And when we come under God's rule and reign, we have now been born into the kingdom of God. Now we have hope. Now we have the spirit of God that's in us. So then, let me ask this tough question. Well, if Christians are born and they have the Holy Spirit, they're born into the kingdom of God, then why do they compare and why do they envy? And why do they become jealous of each other? Well, let's look at what Paul said to some of his church members in 1 Corinthians 3. You know what? I think I'm going to read this in the NIV translation. 
1 Corinthians, I may skip around here and read it in the New Living as well. Sometimes I just read in several translations. In fact, if you're new to reading the Word of God, I would encourage you to get the Bible app. It's free and you can, it helps you understand the context and what God is saying when you read it in multiple translations. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is funny because these people in this church, they're not even comparing themselves one to another. They're comparing leaders, okay? They're saying, well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And then comparing who they follow and who they've learned under. Oh my goodness. I mean, that doesn't seem that bad bad, I guess? I don't know. I mean, and they're just talking about, well, this guy's right. Maybe they were accusing some leaders of being, oh, he's a heretic or he's not the real deal or this leader is really who you need to go see. Listen to what Paul says. Paul said it, okay? I didn't say it. He said, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. Now, these are the people in Paul's church. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another, and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Now, in the NIV version, it says, you're acting like mere humans. There's quarreling, there's jealousy. Are you not worldly? You're acting like mere humans. And they're just comparing leaders, but it's causing division. And that division is a big deal because division is not of the kingdom of God. And if it leads to division, if it leads to discord, if it leads to strife, if it leads to a breakdown of the unity of God in believers, then it's not of the kingdom of God and we're not called to operate in it. So this, this whole thing is, it feels to me like, wow, this is this little envy thing. This is not like a weakness to like kind of excuse and tolerate. Now, this is an enemy that needs the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus. And I want to tell you, it doesn't just destroy relationships. And it doesn't, you know, the question I was asking earlier is, man, why do Christians, why do we still struggle with stuff like this? You know, I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 11, and even what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the growth process for Christians. You're born into the kingdom of God, and the moment that you believe in Jesus, you confess your sins, you hand over lordship to him, you become a part of the kingdom of God. But you are, as Paul said here, you can be an infant in Christ. And I have three young girls, so I can, I can tell you this very, I know this very well, that as my girls grow up, they mature and they're able to get along with each other better. But a sign of immaturity is this constant comparing each other. Oh my goodness, if one person gets a bigger portion of pizza and comparing that to this person's portion of pizza or somebody got this gift, well, dad, wasn't that more expensive than this gift? And that comparison is just so, it is part of their age. It's part of their maturity level. But this is the thing, we're all called to grow in Christ. Listen to what Peter says. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a life of godliness. We have received 
all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us these great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption and earthly desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promise. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow, say grow, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is incredible. How many of us, we do want to grow. We do want to be productive and useful. I'm telling you, the way to be productive and useful in God's kingdom is not by looking at what other people are doing and trying to catch up. It's not by having their opportunity. It's not by having their team. It's not by having their spouse or their nanny or their housemate or whatever it is that they have so you think you can be productive in God's kingdom. Being productive in God's kingdom means that your character is enlarging to become more like Christ and you are becoming reduced down to love, reduced down to just brotherly love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a bit uncomfortable, but I didn't say it. Peter did. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. This verse is glorious. It says in verse 11, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why do we wrestle with things like envy? Because we need to grow in maturity. You are in a growth process. And I want to encourage you to when you start comparing or envying or feel jealous, you need to call it what it is. You need to confess. You need to repent. You need to say it out in God's presence. Lord, I feel like I am falling short right now of what you've called me to. And I'm sorry for that. And I ask the blood, I thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses me and that I now have the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit to defeat this enemy of my soul, envy and jealousy. Because this is the thing as well, envy will blind you to what you have. It lies to you and tells you that your happiness is dependent on somebody else's opportunity. It lies to you and tells you that your productivity and what you can accomplish is dependent on what you don't have. It's lying to you and it's blinding you to your own potential. So what do we do? How do we? Ramp Church, I want us to protect God's peace inside of our own hearts. I want us to fulfill, I want every single one of you to fulfill your individual purpose. And you cannot let envy distract you from God's purpose for your life. You have to do what Solomon says in Proverbs. You've got to, to turn your eyes from the right and to the left and fix your gaze on what's directly before you.
And you need to value what God has given you. There's so many verses. I wish I had more time. But literally, I have just from a, from a small digging deep, there is so much that the Word of God has to say about you not being distracted by what other people have, but really valuing what God has given you. And can I tell you this? God values what He's given you. God values. And you know what? It's an insult to God to envy what somebody else has. It's an insult to Him to think that we would know what opportunity we need to be successful or what we need to be happy. It insults God. God is our Father who knows everything that we need. He's given us every resource and set us up for success. So I want you, Ramp Church, to value what God has given you and celebrate what God has given in other people. Let's be kingdom minded. Let's remember this kingdom is not about me. This is not Stacy's kingdom and this is not your kingdom. This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And our efforts in everything that we do are meant to expand and extend and glorify the kingdom of God. You are not the center of this kingdom. I'm not on the throne of this kingdom. Jesus is on the throne of this kingdom. And we have to be kingdom minded and come up to that high place in the spirit where we can see the full provision of God for everything that he's called us. Too. Now, in closing, I want to take just two minutes. I was thinking about how sometimes in the in the New Testament, uh, people's comparison they brought it to Jesus, and it just backfired on them. And it was it was a little bit humorous to me because you know it's good to be honest with God, and I love how Jesus is approached by the disciples with some pretty daring questions. So first, I think of Mary and Martha. You know, Martha was working really hard to serve God. Jesus was at her house. She was working, working, working. And she was putting together this big feast. And she then sees Mary over there who's just kind of lounging and listening to Jesus. So she's comparing and contrasting and saying, wait a second. And then she feels justified. Well, no, Jesus is in the house. We've got to serve him. And she's just mooching off of him right now. So she comes over to Jesus and she brings this compare, contrast little dialogue to him. And talk about backfiring on her. Jesus said, well, actually, you need to be more like Mary. Oh, that's tough. And I love, though, because I love how Jesus says it, because this is the truth. We're not meant to compare and envy and be jealous, but we are meant to learn from one another. And you can be focused on your own purpose and on your own goal and happy with what you have, but you still need to learn from other people. And maturity is being able to see what God is doing in somebody else and learn from them. And, oh, it's painful, but Jesus actually corrected Martha by bringing up Mary. Oh, so what is this saying? We're not our own island. We're all connected and we need to learn from each other. Then I think of Peter at the end of his life, right when Jesus was about to go up to heaven and Jesus is giving Peter a little heads up and saying, Peter, this is how you're going to die. And just giving him a heads up so he'll know when he gets to that moment, God saw this, God is with me. Well, Peter hears the news. It's unpleasant, hard to cope with. So then he looks over and sees John. And maybe he's already a little bit jealous of John. Who knows? I mean, John and Jesus were pretty close. So he looks to Jesus and he says, well, Jesus, I'm going to die like that. Okay, but what about him? Like maybe he's thinking, well, if I'm dying bad, maybe his is going to be worse. But Jesus looks to Peter and he says, what is it to you? You follow me. 
Oh, man, talk about your comparison backfiring on you. Jesus doesn't mind that we are all in this together, but you, you have a following Jesus call on your life. Jesus is saying to you, you follow me. This is your personal walk with God. It's your purpose. And you need to put your energy and your effort to stewarding what God has given you, to being grateful for what God has given you, to trusting in the sovereignty of what God has given you, to trusting in everything that he knows that you don't know, and then in that place, resting and leaning on him so that you can guard that peace that he's deposited in you and not let envy and comparison rob you of your personal peace and the peace in your relationships the peace in your church, the peace on your worship team, the peace between your colleagues. You guard your heart, Ramp Church, from those things. You are called to peace. Ephesians or Colossians 3.15, Paul says, you are members of one body and you are all called to peace. This is your new normal. Peace is the normal for you in God's kingdom. Getting along, harmony, unity, that's the new normal that we now have inherited in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for you in closing. Father, thank you for the promise that we have of your peace. Thank you for this new nature, Lord. And I just thank you, Father, that we have this opportunity because of what Jesus has done to be born again, to be born into this new kingdom. And Lord, we want to say fresh all over again, that we surrender our lives to you. We give you lordship. We want your rule and your reign in every part of our lives. Lord, we confess our shortfall to your standard and we lean on you, Holy Spirit, and we thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We trust our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you are looking to make a decision to transfer trust from yourself to Christ. There's some links that you can click on. We would love to get in touch to help walk you through that process and walk with you in this new journey that you have in the kingdom of God. Nobody can do this alone. We are all meant to journey together. So we want to help you, pray for you um, with anything that we have that can help you. It's all open to you. So please get in touch. Let us know what you need prayer for and how we can help. We love you all and we'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday.